Well, good evening, family. Would you stand with us tonight? We've actually uh, gathered in this place to worship King Jesus together and uh, to sing these songs to him as well as over one another. So if you wouldn't mind, would you raise your voice with us this evening? Sing it out. How great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to Savior, we sing loud and proud and king. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Sing it out, church.
We're so glad you're here, friends. You are welcome to take a seat. Hey, good evening, fellowship. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Ashley Covert, and I'm the communications coordinator here for Mosaic, and we're just so glad you are with us this evening. Um, so a little bit about communications coordinator. It's a new position, so if you have questions, it's okay, so do I. Um, a lot of what I do, the content that comes your way, whether it be social media, our newsletter, our news page, that's coming from me. So I'm the, the voice and the face behind that. So what that means is this evening, I've got the opportunity to communicate to our ladies. So ladies, if you are here and you are unaware, next weekend we have the porch retreat. It's gonna be Friday and Saturday, the 24th and 25th. What that's gonna look like is Friday evenings, we're gonna be gathering in homes across Northwest Arkansas, so on porches is the idea. And then Saturday morning, we're gonna be gathering here in the worship center for a time of worship and then study through Isaiah 61. One of the coolest things about this is this isn't just a mosaic event, this is congregation-wide, um, excuse me, fellowship-wide. So you're gonna have the opportunity to meet women from different bodies um, and be able to learn and grow together. So we're really excited about that. Uh, if you aren't able to attend in person, we're gonna be live streaming the event as well. So if you take a look at this QR code above me, you can scan that. It's gonna take you to our news page where you can learn more information, get registered. And another way you can serve if you're interested in serving in this capacity is we're still looking for a couple host homes. So you can uh, get in touch with us if that is something that you may be interested in. So what I'm gonna do now is take us into a word of prayer before we continue with this evening. So go ahead and bow your heads with me. Lord, we're so thankful and grateful uh, that you invite us here to be a part of your family, to be a part of your story. Um, God, we know that each of our stories looks different. Uh, each of our walks looks different but regardless, you call us to be your children. Um, so we take refuge in that. We come into this place with open hearts and open minds for what you have for us this evening. Um, Lord, we're grateful for the hope we have in that. Thank you for your son. We love you. Hear and pray. Amen. And family, you are, uh, you are welcome to posture yourself how you feel led tonight. So if you're in a season where you're ready to stand and celebrate the person and work of Jesus, you are welcome to do that. Um, if you're at rock bottom in the pit and uh, you just need to come tonight and allow your brothers and sisters and this truth to be sung over you, you are welcome to do that. Without further ado, will you sing with us?
Family, part of the hope as we come into this place each Saturday is not only that we would be able to proclaim this truth about God over one another, but that even we could begin to hear what is the truth God's revealing to us. I invite you in this time. Uh, maybe you're walking in and uh, it's been a really high season. It's been amazing. Things are going well and you just have a lot of gratitude to give to God tonight. Give it. Uh, or maybe you're coming in and it's rock bottom and things have never been worse and you need to come tonight to give gratitude to God. And wherever on that spectrum you are, we invite you on this next song. Would you fix your eyes on the person and work of Jesus and give him thanks that he's been with you in both the high Yeah. 
from a deep burning secret. Isn't that good news, church? I'll praise you on the mountain. I will praise you in the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. So I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less gone within a shadow. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is In the highlands and the heartache all the to do this in remembrance of him. That we would come together to be formed into his likeness and to recall the goodness and the sacrifice and the resurrection. This is the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf. In thanksgiving, take now and eat. blood of the Lamb and the Lion of Judah spread for sinners like you and me. In thanksgiving, take now and drink. Let's give them thanks.
Jesus, thank you for inviting us into this place tonight. Thank you for taking us from the depths of the earth and inviting us into your story, for renewing us, for rejuvenating us, for redeeming us, and for giving us purpose. I pray that we will be able to go out this week and continue to see your purpose and to serve your purpose, that what we do will be motivated by and for you. Keep us safe and healthy in your name, amen. Good evening, Mosaic. One of my favorite aspects of my job here at the training center is I have the incredible privilege of interacting with leaders across all five fellowship congregations, as well as leaders in Arkansas, across the country, and literally around the globe. And it is a thrill to see God expand his kingdom in the lives of leaders just like you. To hear their stories, to see the unique ways that God is using them, but then also to be able to learn from them. And one of the com most compelling leaders that I get a chance to interact with on a somewhat consistent basis, because we run some leadership foxholes, some cohorts together, is a pastor up near Springfield, Missouri, at Fellowship of the Ozarks, a partner church, a guy by the name of Ted Burden, Teddy B, as we call him. And one of my favorite quotes from Teddy is this idea that races are won and lost in transitions. And sometimes as he's driving home this point, he'll, he'll carry a baton, a track baton with him. Sometimes when he's maybe unpacking this reality with a staff, he'll even set that on a staff member's desk. Just that idea that races are won or lost in transition. In that critical moment in races, where a baton is transferred from one runner to the next. Sometimes when Teddy is unpacking this reality with a group of people, he'll use a quote from an athletic director there in the Springfield area, Sam Wootke, who says, you can have the fastest track, speedy runners, great fans and coaches, and flashy uniforms, but if the handoff isn't good, you will lose to a lesser team every time. You know, that's true not only in racing, it's true in leadership, and it's also true in discipleship. What is handed down from one generation to the next, from one generation of leaders to the next gener generation of leaders, is of crucial importance. And we as a church family find ourselves studying the book of 1 Timothy right now. You see, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus are examples of discipleship baton passes. These books belong to a group of Paul's writings that are known as the pastoral epistles. The apostle Paul is writing to two of his dear sons in the faith who have become co-laborers with him in planting and pastoring churches. Timothy in Ephesus Titus on the island of Crete. And as Nick pointed out for us last week in the introduction of 1 Timothy, we are reminded that these are personal letters and they reveal the fact that the Christian faith exists amongst real people in real time. It's as if we have the incredible privilege of studying a baton pass in real time as we enter into the book of 1 Timothy. You may recall if you're using the, the 1 Timothy uh, devotional guide, working your way through that with your community group, that in there is a resource that gives you the outline for 1 Timothy. Because again, our desire as we walk through this letter together is to equip the church to understand and apply and to share it with other people. And so you see 1 Timothy outlined there on the screen. Starts with a salutation. 
moves into a section where the church is corrected, moves into a section where repair is called for the church, and concludes this letter with a conversation around the pursuit of godliness. And tonight, we find ourselves unpacking the second half of chapter one, unpacking two key truths in this first chapter. Number one, we're gonna take a look at Paul's experience with grace. And then we're gonna conclude this chapter one by looking at the charge that's given to Timothy in leadership. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up in 1 Timothy chapter one, verses 12 through 20. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. So as we work our way through this passage, let's go back and unpack exactly what's taking place in the verses that we've just read. You see, the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, writing to 1 Timothy, who has been sent to the city of Ephesus to help correct and repair a struggling church there, Paul here is unpacking his own personal testimony. You see, Paul went from being an enemy of the cause of Christ to become the greatest evangelist, pastor, theologian, and church planter the world has ever seen not because of who he was, but because of his life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. It's kind of amazing to point out that, that Paul's life-changed story is of such importance that it's shared and referenced seven times in the New Testament. We see it three times in the book of Acts. We see it multiple times in the book of Galatians, Philippians, and also here in 1 Timothy. And actually, every time we see Paul share his life-changing encounter with Jesus, we get the sense that, that Paul never lost his wonder and awe of the fact that Jesus was able to save and redeem his life. Paul literally viewed his life, as we see here in 1 Timothy, he literally viewed his life as the ultimate example of God's grace. It was like every time he shared it with someone, in a new and fresh way, he himself stood in awe of God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, and his love. And he never lost that wonder. And you know, for those of us in the room tonight that consider ourselves Christ followers, it serves as an amazing example of just how awe-inspiring God's grace ought to be all the days of our life. That there would never be a point in our walk with Christ where we would take for granted or just assume his grace, but rather that on a, a daily moment-by-moment -moment basis, we would be refreshed and led to worship the fact that Jesus Christ has saved me. In fact, I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases these verses in describing Paul's testimony there in 1 Timothy. He says, I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do his work. He went out on a limb, you know, entrusting me with this ministry. The only credentials I brought to it were violence and witch hunts and arrogance. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know who I was doing it against. Graced, mixed with faith and love, poured over me and into me, and all because of Jesus. You know, for those of you in the room tonight, who lead community groups, 
This could become a great identity piece for you as a leader to be reminded that if God has entrusted others to your care, that there's a sense in which he's gone out on a limb to find a way to use imperfect people like you and me. Imperfect people, sinners in need of God's grace. And the miracle of sanctification is God begins to knock off the rough edges of our life, allows will to go down and Jesus to go up. Paul never got over that reality. He continues in verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God, amen. It's as if Paul here is breaking out in almost like a mini worship service, just reflecting on the fact of what God has done on his behalf. But as we jump back to verse 15, there's a couple things that I'd love to point out to you. One is this phrase, this is a trustworthy statement. And then some translations will put the words that follow in quotes within the sentence. This phrase, this is a trustworthy statement, is unique to the pastoral epistles and appears five times in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus as Paul is writing, remember, from pastor to pastor in regard to some very familiar statements that would have been known in early church doctrine. It's one of those statements that that can alert the reader to the fact that even in the early church, We're talking in the first few years of its infancy, of its birth, there were some core church doctrine that were unknown across all these emerging groups of believers. And one of those phrases that was central to the teaching very early in the life of the church, Paul quotes here, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, Paul wasn't introducing new theology, but rather he was going back to a bedrock truth that was known. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. It's fascinating to me, though, in in verses 15 and 16, this word sinners was most often a term used by Jews to describe Gentiles, unclean, cut off, separated from God. And so if we'll be reminded of the context once again, Paul, a Jew, a Jew of all Jews, a Pharisee of all Pharisees, is referring to himself here as the chief of all sinners. You see, it's a remarkable example of self-awareness and theological clarity that Paul's bringing to the conversation. You see, on one hand, Paul is fully aware of the depth of his sinfulness. He's not just offering some self-deprecating example of leadership humility here, although this passage is saturated with humility. Paul is giving an honest objective of his life and his leadership, and he is grappling with the depth of his sin. But on the other hand, Paul is also fully aware of the depth of God's grace and the forgiveness that is able to fuel his his gratitude, his leadership, and his ability to make disciples. But before we move on to the concluding verses in chapter one, I want us to consider for a moment 
to remember how Paul's purpose in writing this letter was to coach Timothy as he corrects the church in Ephesus. In fact, the letter opened last week kind of coming out ready to throw some punches, going directly after the false teachers that had infiltrated the church there in Ephesus. So chapter one begins with a warning against false teachers, and chapter one is gonna end with this charge for Timothy to step up and to lead. But in between, Paul once again explains how Jesus has changed his life. Why is that? This wasn't an accident. You see, in the mind of Paul, the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the foundational piece to both sound doctrine and a pure lifestyle, a theme that will emerge over and over again in 1 Timothy. It literally is the baton in the mind of Paul. If there's anything that his life is going to transfer to another multiplying leader, it's the focus on the faith that is required in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and this reality that it is to shape every aspect of our lives, including the way we teach, live, work, and lead. You see, in the mind of Paul, as he transfers leadership to Timothy and to others, he knew they must get this right. That all of Christianity, the entire Christian faith, hinges around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that every aspect of our lives is designed to be shaped by Jesus. And so, once he communicates that with his own testimony, we then get to this powerful charge that's entrusted to Timothy. Verse 18 begins, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. You know, verse 18 is fascinating for several reasons. The, the language that's used here is both very, very tender of a father communicating love and tenderness to a son, but also the language of, of military language, the words of fight and battle. And I believe here in verse 18, we see the, the, the tension likely that Paul was experiencing. It, it, verse 18 really gives us the, the gravity, helps us understand the gravity of the verses that are to come. This idea that, that Paul, as a seasoned leader who has experienced tremendous hardship as a result of following Jesus obediently, this was a man who experienced beatings and hunger and shipwrecks, who would one day literally die a martyr's death for the cause of Christ. Paul understood well the sacrifices and the duty that comes from following Jesus with abandonment. And he's passing a baton to a leader he loves as dearly as a son. And so here in verse 18, we have the tenderness of passing a baton, a leadership baton to a son, also understanding the challenges and the weight that would come with that responsibility. Wanting Timothy to become a leader who could have a spine of steel and who could fight the Lord's battles while remaining completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. And so here in verse nine, Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. 
Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. Just as a side note to clarify, verse 20, this is an example. There's a couple of them in the New Testament where teachers, apparently two teachers who are engaged in false teaching had to be thrown out of the church for the good and the health of the community there in hopes that these unrepentant false teachers may repent and come back to sound doctrine and a pure lifestyle. And Paul had to make that tough call. But back in verse 19, we see these two phrases where Paul is instructing Timothy, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. It's as if Paul is describing to Timothy leadership that is focused on holding tightly to your faith in Christ. No matter what happens in life, no matter what challenges come your way, cling to, keep a firm grip on God's word. And as you do so, Timothy, keep a clear conscience that results from a pure life. In other words, line up your actions with God's word and the promptings of the Holy Spirit and your conscience will be pure and clean as you cling and hold tight to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Mosaic, to, to give us an example or a picture of what it looks like to hold tightly or to cling to faith in Jesus Christ, tonight we wanna share with you a life change story from one of our Mosaic leaders, a couple, Jimmy and Bethany Donahue. Check out this life change story with me. It's kind of even weird talking about it right now because it doesn't feel like it happened in some case, um, just because it was kind of so unbelievable at the time. We were like in the aftermath of the explosion mm -hmm. of grief. It's hard to know what to say or what to do. You know, his plan, we have to just trust in him, even though we might not be happy with that. It feels so big and it is really weighty and it's significant. The lives of all four of them are significant. Uh, 2019, early 2019, we were really excited. We, uh, we got pregnant um, with a boy and at the 21 week uh, ultrasound, they found out that he had something called chaos, which is, uh, they've only had 50 cases in the world um, since 1990. Yeah, it was congenital high airway obstruction disorder. And so his esophagus stopped developing like mm -hmm. three centimeters yeah. short of meeting his lung. We went to a few specialists up in Kansas City. We tried to go up there and do surgeries on it. Everything was kind of just trial by error. And so we did the surgery. Um, at 25 and a half weeks uh, for Griffin. That was 2019, uh, the day before Father's Day. And that actually induced uh, Bethany. The surgery ended up failing and Griffin was born um, and ended up passing away uh, on that day. So we got to spend some time with him and um, it was kind of a- Chaotic. Chaotic <laughs> yeah. experience, um, just going through all that. We had two miscarriages after that, uh, one in December of 2019 and one in March of 2020. Um, and again, they kept telling us, uh, go ahead and keep trying, like everything's healthy, everybody's good. And so we had a pregnancy with Beckett this last fall and she was healthy, everything was great. And then uh, Christmas Eve, uh, we went in um, for the um, ultrasound and her heart stopped and they didn't know why. I think Devin and Chandler, our two miscarriages are a little bit harder for me just because they, they aren't as tangible, but grateful that we have like handprints and like mm -hmm. footprints for both Griffin and Beckett, which are sweet. So it's Griffin, Devin, Chandler, and Beckett. Those are the four, our four, four kiddos in heaven. I think the word chaos, the thing that Griffin was diagnosed with is actually like yeah. an interesting way that the Lord showed up because he creates order out of chaos. 
and we have continuously been blown away by like our community and love and how he has shown up through others um, and then even personally like the Lord really blessed us with great community you know great families to come in over us and just pray over us and people that have been there before and people that can understand one thing that um, the Lovers actually taught me is that being there for people that are grieving in the moment is very important but also you know three months six months a year later two years later anniversaries that's very important to keep showing up as a church body and that really meant something to me and so i think that was really just like cool to watch people in the community still after a few months of us going and battling through this of just a lot of leaders coming in and stepping in and just loving us well and just just being there for us but also bethany's leadership in the community you know being very open and with hurt and trial just to be able to talk about our children it's been cool to see you do that too with dads i feel like that's something that stepping into this group of people who have lost babies that nobody wants to be a part of. I feel like um, it, as a woman, is really easy for us to like step into emotional conversations and to meet each other in that space. And I don't know if that's necessarily true always for guys. And so it's been really sweet to see Jimmy. Get so emotional. Yeah, get so emotional, but like catch people. <laughs> you catch lots of, lots of hurting dads. It's been really sweet to get to sit across from moms and have coffee with them and um, I've, I feel like my empathy and my compassion has enlarged because of my kids um, when they're sitting across and they're talking about struggles that they're facing and I'm reminded of the assurance that I have that I will have eternity with my kids it has led me to, to a place where I've been able to pray really bold prayers on behalf of the, of the families that I don't really know if I would have had the knowledge or insight to do before experiencing the loss of our kids. I think one tough thing was, you know, you get so excited and then let down. So excited, let down, so excited, let down. Just trusting that God has a bigger purpose for you is difficult. You know, I think it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to just be confused. But to seek Him through all of that, that was the big thing that I think that we probably took away. I don't know what the Lord has in store for our family as far as like how he wants it to grow in whatever way that looks like through adoption, through fostering, um, through getting to like mentor kids. I do think that life now feels way more open-handed than it did. Um, the veil of control over my life has been shattered. I think that a lot of times there are there are really sweet stories and opportunities to hear from people who have like walked through really hard things but kind of are on the other side of it. And in a way, it like sort of does just because he's really restored joy in our life. But we still don't have kiddos. So in, in a way, we are where we were back in 2017. And in a way, we are absolutely not. Yeah, I think one thing that uh, is tough for us is that we don't end the video with and now we have our three kids, right? <laughs> and that's something that seems like it's a huge negative, but Bethany's kind of always kept pointing back to me of like, there is a happy ending. Like when we go into heaven one day, the sweetness of, you know, meeting our children again for the first time or for the first time, how incredibly sweet that's gonna be. And in the scope of eternity, this is just- Light and momentary. Momentary. It's really easy, I think, in grief and in hard situations to look at the things and really harp on the hard things or, or the prayers that didn't feel like they got answered. Um, but he has made scripture come alive for me in ways that has never happened before. And the promises of those scriptures, like the this light and momentary affliction does not compare to the glory that is to come. Like I, I feel like through our kids, he's given me and you an internal perspective that mm -hmm. um, that has really changed everything in the last two years for me. An expression of what it looks like to cling to faith in Jesus Christ. It reminds us once again our faith in the person and the work 
of Jesus Christ is to shape every aspect of our lives. You know, Mosaic, the remarkable thing is when we cling to faith in Jesus Christ, in ways that we saw in that video, in ways that Paul was communicating to Timothy, when we cling to faith in Jesus Christ, it truly allows us to then lead and live open-handed in so many other areas of life. As Bethany said, that, that veil of control gets shattered and that's a good thing because we're clinging to faith in Jesus Christ. It allows us to live not attached to outcomes, not attempting to manipulate, but to actually walk in the freedom that is only available in Christ. And that's a good thing and it's worth it. Mosaic, I pray that we can remain a church that understands that our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ shapes everything that we do. And that from generation to generation, that we would produce and release leaders here at Fellowship Mosaic that understand what it looks like to cling to faith in Jesus Christ and live life with a pure conscience. Mosaic, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the freedom we have in Christ. We are so thankful for the person and the work that Jesus did on our behalf so that when we put our trust in him, we are forgiven. We are made right with you. Lord, may that continue to be a central bedrock truth to everything that we do as the body of Christ. May we cling to Christ and live life open-handed with everything else that you've entrusted to us. God, we love you, we worship you, and we respond in gratitude tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you just sing this one chorus with us? That I will love you.
Hey, Fellowship Mosaic family, will you guys please read the benediction with us? All right. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Mosaic family. We love you. Go in peace.